Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. This is episode 153 and episode 11 of our Albion, Florida series. So let's talk a little bit about the war, the Revolutionary War, which begins in 1775 and really engulfed Florida, East Florida in particular, it's in, for its entire duration, and then West Florida from 1779 onward. So Governor Patrick Tonin, governor of East Florida, was a, um, a, a character of some derision and someone who, who made a number of errors in office, which um, created issues for the British in the southern colonies. After the American rebels successfully drove the British army back to Boston from Lexington and Concord in, in April 1775, British Commander-in-Chief Thomas Gage requested from East Florida and Governor Tonin shiploads of food and fuel. Governor Tonin, who is a, a British Brigadier General at this point, happily obliged. But East Florida itself was dependent on th these provisions and the generosity of the uh, mother country. Gage was very confident, based on Tonin's reports, that uh, East Florida would remain loyal to the crown, which it did, uh, but maybe it would not have. He was so confident of this that he dispatched about 150 to 200 soldiers from St. Augustine to Savannah to keep the peace in Georgia, which is a state that's going to undergo a Whig takeover during this year, which we had talked about uh, in a previous episode. British officials had miscalculated, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, the, the mood in Georgia and the Whigs take over Georgia and the colony needs to be pacified. In August 1775, the British vessel Brig, bound for St. Augustine to reinforce Fort St. Mark, which is what the Castillo de San Marcos is now called by the British, Fort St. Mark was seized by Patriot forces before it got to St. Augustine. Its provisions were sent north to the American rebels who were trying to break the siege of Boston. Ever the loyalists looking for credit from the crown, Tonin, again a brigadier general in the British Army, had sent many of St. Augustine's provisions north to Gage earlier in the year, and so now the residents were effectively without provisions and vulnerable to a Patriot attack if they wanted to attack St. Augustine and there had been soldiers sent to Savannah. Virginia's governor, Lord Dunmore, had also asked for a regiment to be sent from St. Augustine to Virginia. Tonin wasn't necessarily wild about this idea, as uh, at this point he's beginning to realize the city is vulnerable and would be left even more vulnerable. But always wanting to please his British masters and please the crown, he obliged. So, St. Augustine's now completely vulnerable and open, and as it turns out, Virginia fell into Patriot hands anyway and, and would remain in Patriot hands for 
basically the duration of the war. Of course, there was uh, some raiding that went on in 1780 and 1781 in Virginia, which involved uh, Benedict or Arnold, uh, who would, the turncoat, who would become a British general by this point. point. And uh, there's the uh, one of the things that dogged Thomas Jefferson throughout his political career was the hastiness of his retreat from Richmond in January of 1781 when, um, when Benedict Arnold and... Uh, and General Simcoe, who was later to become the governor of Canada, was a big abolitionist, actually, Simcoe. He, um, when they, 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 they raided Richmond and Jefferson took off. But other than that, that Virginia is pretty much in Patriot hands. And, that, and, that, and that's in 1781. We're still in 1775 at this point. In 1767, Tonin had received a large land grant of 20,000 acres. Tonin Plantation, as it became known, was built on this land and played host to naturals William Bartram, who we talked about previously, during his exploration of the St. John's River. The, the plantation was right on the St. John's River. Early in the Revolutionary War, his plantation was raided by rebels, and he had to relocate his holdings closer to St. Augustine. He had become governor in 1771. Tonin proved to be a classically misinformed British officer, wrongly assuming the American rebels were a small minority of troublemakers. The East Florida governor also proved he had little appreciation or understanding for why the populace of the colonies of the North were attempting to th throw off the rule of the crown. His calculations about everything were, were, were effectively wrong. Now, he inherited a group of uh, slaves from his uh, predecessor, General Grant. They were very well treated, treated more like servants than slaves. However, Tonin proceeded to treat them so poorly, some eventually escaped and ran away to Grant's plantation, which was being managed by Dr. David Yates in Grant's absence. Uh, Colonel Grant eventually returns to North America. That's the former governor of Florida and became an important British commander in New York. Making matters worse, Tonin had alienated Andrew Turnbull, who we talked about as, as being the founder of New Smyrna, and tried to have him prosecuted. And the result was the collapse of the New Smyrna colony and the relocation of the population that was down to about 800 by this time. Remember, it had been 1,500 at one point to St. Augustine. Now, one thing that um, Tonin did do, which I think history judges very favorably, is that he um, was, uh, even though he was mistreating his own slaves on his plantation, was uh, quite eager to arm blacks in St. Augustine, realizing that this would uh, terrorize the patriots. So blacks were readily armed, free blacks, were readily armed by the British in St. Augustine, a site, uh, quite frankly, that would cause outrage in other southern colonies, if it were seen. But um, something that uh, the loyalist population, whether they were wild about it or not, realized would have a great psychological effect in the war. So uh, one of the things that ends up happening is that prisoners are brought from Charleston at times when that's uh, when when that city is captured to St. Augustine and they're horrified. Patriot prisoners are horrified by seeing these armed African-Americans in the streets of St. Augustine. This would never be tolerated in South Carolina. 
I mean, heck, it's it's hardly tolerated in South Carolina now. Uh, so let alone in the 1770s, uh, the uh, cradle of the Confederacy as Charleston became. So it, it, it's uh, it, it's a horrifying sight for, uh, for for the Patriots. Now, I don't think necessarily Tonin was uh, was any kind of uh, uh, into any sort of egalitarian beliefs. And certainly, as we said, he treated his own slaves poorly. And these were slaves he had inherited from the previous governor who had treated them more like servants than, than like slaves. But he realized the psychological effect, the devastating effect this could have on the American revolutionaries who were, uh, I mean, let's face it, the American Revolution in the South, a lot of it was about keeping your slaves. And slavery got only stronger as an institution in the American South after independence. And as we've talked about many times on this podcast series, the British Empire abolished slavery far before the United States did. That's why Canada was an option. Canada was then under British rule. That's why the Underground Railroad went to Canada. They had abolished slavery in the British Empire by the 1830s. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Pensacola for a minute. During the Revolution, Pensacola became an important military staging ground for the British. And St. Augustine became that and more, right? We've talked about St. Augustine... Um, really being a strategic city whose population swelled thanks to fleeing loyalists from Georgia and South Carolina. And it also provided a security blanket uh, for the Caribbean, which were more important colonies for, for, for Britain. In terms of Pensacola, Pensacola was heavily fortified and was uh, there to protect Florida, which was very important to the English at this point, protect East Florida and the key of West Florida, which is Pensacola, and effectively give a degree of security to any British efforts to hold Georgia and the Carolinas. So it's important that even if somehow the Americans, which they eventually do with, with Spanish help, with more Spanish expedition, take Baton Rouge, Mobile, Natchez, the, these places along the Gulf Coast at Pensacola remain fortified and remain in British hands. And and as we're, we'll talk about, and, I, and we've talked about previously on the Florida History Podcast, you have a situation where Pensacola, the fall of Pensacola really is a, a, a pivotal event in the American Revolution and opens the door for the uh, seizure of Yorktown. Now back to East Florida. The American rebels made several failed attempts to capture St. Augustine, and raiding was a common occurrence along the Georgia-Florida border at the St. Mary's River. Uh, they had the, the McIntosh raids uh, on the East Florida-Georgia border. But then in August 1776, oh, and I should mention also, by the way, in George Washington's correspondence, while the uh, um, the Americans are laying siege, the Patriot side are laying siege to Boston where Gage is, is holed up. He is writing to Henry Knox, who's, of course, going to, to, to capture this cannon at Fort Ticonderoga, that he's really concerned about the situation in East Florida and that he thinks the British have stores and all this heavy military artillery in St. Augustine. Now, Washington is right about that. What Washington may not have calculated was that the British were were using St. Augustine. Everything that, that they could get out of St. Augustine had already gone to Savannah or to Charleston or to Virginia. 
or to Boston or to Gage, and that everything left was provisions for the local population and to protect the Caribbean. But nonetheless, the Continental Army still wants to knock Florida out of the war. So in August 18, uh, in August 1776, a month after the Declaration of Independence, Major General Charles Lee, who's a very controversial figure in terms of the Continental Army in the uh, in the Revolution. Major General Charles Lee, who was at the time the Continental Army's military commander in the South, authorized an invasion of East Florida. The previous year, the Continental Army under Richard Montgomery had invaded British-held Quebec, but Montgomery had been killed, uh, as is known, and Benedict Arnold led a retreat back into New York. Also, uh, famously, Aaron Burr liked to claim that he had carried the body of the dead Montgomery back so that the British didn't have the body. Um, that was Aaron Burr's account. But Aaron Burr had been a, a soldier in the Continental Army in that invasion of, of Quebec, so that much is true. Lee's forces were planning to march down south from Savannah and eventually take boats to the coastal town of Darien, which you probably see now if you drive on US-17 or I-95 between Jacksonville and Savannah. Not enough boats were commissioned to transport all the troops, so many marched southward. Food was scarce, and the marching became insufferable for many troops. Large numbers of desertions took place, and the mission was eventually abandoned. A few Continental troops, few American troops, made it to the border with East Florida along the King's Road, which we talked about before, but could go no further in December 1776 due to a lack of food and supplies, and the supply lines are broken. And this coincides with um, the really miserable situation George Washington and the Continental Army was in in uh, December of 1776, which is when Washington knew the commissions of his soldiers was was expiring. He read them the pamphlet by Thomas Paine, American Crisis, which was meant to inspire them. And then he made his daring move to cross the Delaware River on Christmas night or the morning of, of, of Boxing Day, as it's known in, in the British Empire. And he, he, he struck his blow that he did at Trenton and uh, the war... Trenton and then and then Princeton also after that and the war fundamentally changed or at least the Amer the Americans were still in the war at that point could have been all over that same month uh, supply lines break and they they have to abandon the um, the invasion of East Florida although the Americans do build the Continental forces do build Fort Row and Fort McIntosh along the King's Road in South Georgia. Now, there was an elite force of fighters, uh, loyalists, known as the East Florida Rangers. Thomas Brown, who had been a prominent loyalist and a Georgia plantation owner, was taken prisoner and tortured by the Sons of Liberty during the Whig takeover of Georgia in 1775. Brown suffered a fractured skull and lost two toes from the actions, which included being tarred and feathered. So... The rebels, instead of scaring Brown into submission, they created an enemy uh, who would uh, flee to, uh, to Florida, East Florida, and would uh, organize the Native American resistance to the American rebels for the duration of the war. Uh, Brown would, would um, immerse himself with the natives, and he set up a, a loyalist 
um, network of Native Americans from East Florida all the way north to North Carolina and spent uh, much of the rest of the war living amongst the natives, winning their trust and forming in this alliance that persisted throughout the war, which became a real nuisance for the patriots. And out of those Native Americans, he formed something called the East Florida Rangers, a division of the larger Kings Rangers, uh, which was led by the uh, aforementioned General Simcoe, who I, I mentioned uh, in terms of the raid of Richmond in early 1781. So the, the East Florida Rangers are a division of the Kings Rangers. They are arming Native Americans, which again is terrifying for, um, for, 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 for the Patriots. Look, again, I, I mentioned this in a previous episode. I'm not going to pretend the British had some sort of co concept of, of egalitarianism. Clearly, they didn't. Uh, clearly, the Enlightenment ideas and at least the, the espousing, espousing of Enlightenment ideas were on the Patriot side. We're on the American side. But the British uh, now have, have determined the Patriots are the biggest enemies. So they're going to arm whoever doesn't like the Patriots. And that includes uh, blacks and Native Americans. It, it's pretty simple. And uh, there is writing from the time where basically there are these British officers saying, look, you know, the Natives, they might be savages, but they're more civilized than these rabble, the Patriot rabble. And they're, they're easier to, uh, to teach. We can turn Native Americans into a useful into useful soldiers. We can't turn the rabble uh, because there had been a lot. I, we didn't talk about this on an earlier show. I'm just going to get into this very briefly. But one of the knock-on effects from the Seven Years' War, the French and Indian War in North America, was British officers came to really disdain American soldiers. They thought they were undisciplined. They thought they were very, very difficult to train. They thought they were, quite frankly, inferior and did not make good soldiers. They did not respect their fighting abilities. They did not respect their discipline. They did not really respect their intellect. So at this point, there are British officers who say, yeah, the Native Americans, they might be, quote, savages, but they're less savage than, than the colonists, right? We, we, we can work with them. We, we can't work with the colonists. So uh, the, the, the loyalists really felt like the Patriot side were full of these, uh, um, this rabble, so to speak, again, and they consistently underestimated the ability of the Americans uh, to fight what was effectively a guerrilla war uh, against them. So, in December 1776, until April 1777, um, there was a movement of Southern Tories coming to St. Augustine with weapons and food. And what ends up happening is that there is raiding going on back and forth, and the Willing Raid takes place in this period. The East Florida Rangers, this elite group of um, uh, uh, under uh, the, the command of, of, of Thomas Brown, largely Native Americans, but they're elite. They're elite soldiers at this point, uh, are doing a lot of the raiding and, and really wreaking havoc on southern Georgia. So, in order to counter that, we get a second invasion of East Florida, and we're going to pick up with that in our next episode. Thanks for listening.